This is Airoff Short Stories, where you will hear stories that take science to plausible extremes or reality to the magical. Episode 2 Music Box by Evan Pickering. If this is your first time listening, then thank you, and I hope you return to enjoy more of the stories we discover. You can find show notes with any relevant links at judahmahay.com. If you like what you hear, please review us on iTunes or the Judah Mahay smartphone app. Now, let the story begin. Music Box by Evan Pickering I should have just run away. I should have stayed indoors. I still remember the first day I heard it. It sounded beautiful. A simple music box melody is the best way I can describe it. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Those first simple five notes. They sounded poetic, impossibly melancholic, sad and even lilting. If I had any idea what it would mean for me, I would have just run though I don't know if running would have accomplished anything. At the time, it seemed so surreal, so exhilarating, that there could be something so unique to me, that it was something that only called to me, like it was fated for something fantastic. How little I knew then. Really, though, how little I know now. I do know now that it will probably never leave me. It wakes me in my sleep. It starts when I have sex, when I'm eating, when I'm on an airplane, when I'm putting on my shoes, when I'm laughing, when I'm watching a movie, when I'm taking in a beautiful sky, or dancing, or getting groceries, or screaming, or crying, or running, or when I'm high. It doesn't care what state or country I'm in. It's not piercing, not loud, nor quiet, not without melody. It actually may sound beautiful or moving to one who has never heard it. It cuts through the headphones, through the televisions, vacuums, and jet engines. It seems to play inside my own head. It is everywhere and seems to come from nowhere. I still remember the first day I heard it. It was the day after I turned 13, just after sundown. And purple-blue dark skies covered the air. Clouds started the transformations into invisibility. I sat next to the open window of the room my brother James and I shared. The window was open. The early fall wind blew cool and comforting us. He was reading on his bed, cross-legged, a warm lamp between our beds, alighting us both. I still remember the book, a leather-bound collection of the works of Poe. It seemed a normal thing for a bored young kid to read some otherworldly dark poetry after a night of school and chores. Maybe it wasn't, but my brother was always intelligent with an appreciation for the aesthetic that would put most TV-going adults to shame. Then, the book seemed a simple thing. Now it seems to be proof that life is not without a strong sense of coincidence or a twisted sense of humor. I remember... I sat across from him on my own bed. The new Lego set that was my birthday present sat perfectly constructed on my night table next to the Catcher in the Rye, which was my favorite book. 
It was the only book I liked, really. I was trying to keep a journal. My mother said she would get me something extra on Christmas if I started a diary. I did. After the first few entries, I started to enjoy it. It helped me understand my whole day. Helped me recap, collect everything that happened into some imperfect but powerful recording of my feelings. This is kind of odd in reflection. Because at the time, I was a literary hack. I hated reading, writing, and the like. I think I liked it because it was so personal. Not really like writing an essay or the useless things I had to write in school. This is, you could say, the continuation, the evolutionary progeny of that diary, that journal, whatever you may call it. As I sat writing, the music floated in gently on that cool autumn wind. Like a spirit on my shoulder, my head perk up. I looked over at my brother, still intently reading. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. It sounded like a xylophone, faint, sad, and delicate. You hear that? Hear what? He said. That music, I replied simply, thinking he was just momentarily hard of hearing. Head still, he looked around the room, clearly focusing with his ears. No, he said, his eyes quirking. I stood up, walking to the window. I looked out into the fields, down the path. I saw nothing. The sky was purple-blue darkness, as you know. The gray clouds were merging with the sky like chameleons blending into the color of the background. The moon hung a pale silver sliver. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Come here, I said, waving him to the window. He reluctantly marked his page and padded over to the window next to me. He looked out. Yeah, it looks beautiful. I searched his eyes. You, you don't hear it? Hear what, man? What are you talking about? I started him not answering. Looking out the window and back at him, his green eyes looked concerned and confused. Nothing, I said. I let my fingers slide off the windowsill and walked away from the window. I walked downstairs, holding the banister. I could still hear it, barely. I ran to the front door. When I stepped outside, the cool breeze floated through my sweatpants and shirt. My feet were cold on the slate doorsteps. The sky was dark for sure. I still heard it. There are no neighbors for miles. I was terrified and excited. My heart started to pound, and I followed the path out between the fields. I could feel the gritty earth and occasional pebble underneath my feet. As the loose dirt swirled in the wind with each footstep, I started to run, the music getting louder. I still remember looking up and seeing that seeth moon, one of those cross paths were approaching. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. As I approached it, the music stopped. I slowed to a halt at the crossroads. To my left slightly was one of Mom's produce gardens, the ragged scarecrow facing me like it always had been, its stitched smile and moving, those white cloth eyes staring at emptiness. The straw had mostly dissipated, but the cloth rag still held fast to the post and cross beams. My mom says she wanted him to look happy when she made it. 
no reason to have a morose scarecrow. It was smiling like it knew something I didn't. I jumped, seeing movement to my left over the path. A rabbit darted across the road into the brush, and some black birds flew out of the, the wheat cawing. The scarecrow was not doing his job. I rubbed my arms, feeling colder. My feet were frozen. I turned slowly, the wind picking up suddenly and howling through my hair and clothes. I ran back home. I washed my feet with a hose and ran back upstairs, eager to warm them. When I entered our room, James asked me what had happened. Nothing, I said. Well, I was just hearing things. Then I closed the window. Just hearing things. I'm laughing right now. It's sick. So sick. I went to sleep early. The next day on the bus to school, I heard it again. I didn't say anything, but just looked around, frantically searching like a madman or paranoid schizophrenic. I didn't tell anyone, but James, a month or two later. When I was 15, my parents drove me two hours to see a psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't really remember what the title was or the difference really is. I told the guy about the problem. I don't know if he thought I was lying or if he was just trying to be an asshole. But he kept being so unresponsive, just treating me like I was some kind of lab rat. I wanted to throw my chair at him. Maybe I didn't then, but I was a pretty calm kid. But looking back, I do now. I just told my parents I went away. That it was all fixed. That was that. Wouldn't it be for a long time that I told them the truth? That it n never stopped. It was the Christmas after I turned 25. Long time ago. The second I said it, I wish I never did. What was the point? only make my family more miserable knowing that I had this problem. I had a habit of not telling people. Why? Because it did nothing. It didn't make me feel any better. No one seemed to understand. Most of the people believed that I was just lying, being dramatic, or trying to make my life sound spectacular. If they didn't say it outright, I knew they thought it inside. I could tell by their eyes. The tone of their voice. James is the only person who really believed me and was honestly sympathetic enough to have been any help. Maybe just because he was there for me for the first time it happened. I knew he wasn't making it up. I'd always called him on the phone looking for some kind of support. It's like he could do anything. I guess it's pretty screwed up to put that pressure on him. James, the music won't go away. It's never going away. I'd say. You know you don't know that, man. Just try and ignore it. Like we talked about. I can't. It's haunting me. Like it's trying to kill me or drive me insane. Well, you're not dead. So just try to get some sleep, alright? 3am. I'll call you in the morning. Alright, bro. Love you. Love you too, man click. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. The melody continues after that, just as a lilting and foreboding more in intricate with a melancholy crescendo and decrescendo. I would lie in the bed listening to it, staring at the ceiling, waiting for it to leave.
If it lasted for a while, longer than normal, I could frantic. Terrified that I wouldn't stop this time around. Why wouldn't I just enjoy it? I remember someone asking me this once, though. I don't remember who. Why was it a blessing instead of a curse? It was beautiful music, if sad. That's for sure. When they asked, it only proved to me that they didn't understand. That no one else knew. I cannot enjoy it. It is my own personal Hamlet. Or maybe Van Cole. I think he was the ghost in Macbeth. The point is, I can't enjoy the music because it's never ending. Because it is without reason. Because it spoils all other music for me. I cannot listen to a song I love without being reminded on a visceral level. I have this cursed tune completely against my will, patternless, and like a hornet's nest inside my head. Sometimes it plays three times in a row. Sometimes it doesn't play for three days. But I have long since lost hope. I'll probably hear it on my deathbed or when my first son is born, if I ever have a son. If I don't kill myself before then, that is the sort of mindset it drives me to. I can think of nothing but it, because it is unavoidable, unpredictable, and impossibly sorrowful. It sounds like the music that would play alongside the death of a child. As I got older, before I moved away, word of my condition got out in my little hometown in rural Iowa. I watched whispers pass between people that I've known most of my life, felt the judgmental gaze of those around me daily. Some people were genuinely interested, used to ask me questions about the music, or pretended like I didn't know what they were talking about. Most people probably just assumed it was shit. I looked at them with contempt. They didn't know anything about me. They all probably think I'm crazy. My short involvement with a psychiatrist became a short stay in a mental institution in the cogs of the rumor mill. They think I hear voices, have violent urges. The younger generation, they used to camp out outside my window to try and hear me scream in my sleep. My father used to shoo them off regularly. I felt like I had been branded. I never should have told anyone except James. He's the only one that still thinks I'm just a human. He doesn't look at me like I'm broken. My parents, they're fine and all, but they can't understand and aren't willing to try. I think they're afraid that if they talk about it, they'll only find out it's something much worse. I prefer it that way. Fuck it. I decided to go to college in Queens and move to Manhattan after I was done. I worked as a bartender for a while because I hated getting a desk job, but eventually I did get one in Jersey City. Pretty ass backwards living in Manhattan, coming to Jersey to work, but I like being around so many people, so much noise. I was lost in obscurity. No one knew about the music box, and amidst the clamor of Fashion Avenue or Times Square, the recurring melody seemed not as bad. It was unbearable in silence like it took over my mind. So doing the mind was often my best option. I've never been much into alcohol. Hadn't done much, if any, when I lived at home. My parents had been 
pretty morally minded and instilled a strong work ethic in my brother and me. We hadn't deviated much from the straight and narrow. My brother never really did. He already had a family. Met his wife in college. They got married two years after graduation. If you can believe it, that kind of thing still happens. They're sweet arch, for sure. They live in South Orange, New Jersey. I still don't see them often, though. It's pretty sad when you think about it. At least it is for me. There's always the hustle and bustle of middle America. Everyone's busy. Anyways, I had done a, a bit of drinking in college, but found weed to be much more my thing. I started doing it fairly regularly around sophomore year. It gave me a sort of relaxation, comfort, and solace I didn't have. The music box still rang in my head, but never seemed to bother me as much when I was high. For that alone, I was addicted. When I moved to Manhattan, I didn't have anywhere to get weed at first. One of my friends at, at the bar, when I worked there, gave me the number of his dealer. I was saved. No more driving out to Long Island to meet up with my old dealer from college. I moved on to other drugs. I love pills. Eventually got into coke and heroin. Why not, right? Either that or stay in my flat alone trying to drown out the music box, which never worked. It's worse than food poisoning, worse than the worst migraine. I hadn't had a steady girlfriend since college, and even that was a trifle of a relationship. I had only a few friends, and none that I really fully trusted. I didn't really trust many people, only James, and he was pretty busy with his family. I suppose he kind of lost time for friends and relatives other than the semi-annual meetups. I couldn't imagine having a family the way I am now. I could barely keep myself functioning while self-medicating. They call weed a gateway drug in high school health class. I don't think it's so bad. I remember being young and thinking it was, though. I mean, it leaves the gate open if you want to walk through, but most people never want to. Me? I ran headfirst. By the time I was 27, weed was a joke. It seemed about as harmful or as legal as cheddar cheese. There it is. Even as I write, it chimes away. That's just how inescapable it is, even now. How could something so beautiful be so disgusting? Music normally feels like the warm caress of a lover. This to me feels like my fingernails dragging across rough crane sandpaper. That's my gut reaction to it. Back to my train of thought. Drugs. My own personal history. So I'd gone with my friend Owen to our dealer to pick up something to keep us busy for the weekend. He got mushrooms. I just got a bunch of painkillers, hydrocodeine, I think. I didn't care what it was. As I left the apartment, the music box started again. I took a bottle of Jameson out with me. Owen was driving, and we were going back to his place in Brooklyn to chill and hang out with some people he knew. I just sat and drank in the passenger seat the whole way. When we finally got to his apartment, some of his friends met up with us. One guy was a small-time weed dealer in Long Island. His girlfriend, a good-looking brunette girl, smiled at me when they walked inside. I didn't say much to either of them. As the night went on, she and I stole a few glances, green eyes, long eyelashes, a little bit of eyeliner, cute face, kind of devious smirk. 
We all got high, took a drive out to Bayside, and just hung out with some people I didn't know. While we were in the car, though, me and the girl, Veronica, shed a few words I actually remember. I put on Me, My Yoke, and I by Damien Rice on Owen Stereo. She told me she loved that song. Yeah, I said. She said I was pretty quiet. Yeah, I said and smiled. She did too. Her boyfriend looked pissed. Probably the jealous type. I didn't care. He was a real worthless bastard. Seemed pretty unintelligent, unremarkable. I guess you could probably say that about me too. This guy seemed like a real hack. If it weren't for selling weed, I'd bet he'd live in his mother's house and and then ding ding ring dang dong ding ding ring dang dong I can't even enjoy a flirtatious moment without being reminded it conflicted with the music from the stereo pretty bad I grimaced started to drink more Jameson from the bottle Owen said I looked like someone had shot my dog until I hated dogs you're a real old man, you know that, he said. I still remember his tone of voice saying it. I fucking want to see him try and live like this. I'm not a fucking druggie. I've just been drive to, driven to the edge. Backed into the proverbial corner. These assholes are not my people. God, why can't I just be rid of this? Why couldn't I be strong enough not to let it torment me? It gets worse. I know what it means now. That's why I started to recount this whole night. I'd hope I'd see her again, but I figured I wouldn't. Life went on most of the same until two months later. Owen gives me Veronica's number, telling me she broke up with her douchebag boyfriend and that she'd like me to call her. I guess not much changes since high school. What can I say? I called her. We got pretty close after a few dates, if you want to call them that. God knows what they're called today. After about three months, she moved in with me in Manhattan. Pretty soon, I guess. But I didn't care. I was happy not to sleep alone. She and I meshed pretty well. We're more like friends who fucked than anything. I'd say that was unhealthy, but I don't know what a realistic relationship is supposed to be like. Either way, our complete aversion to trust and opening up suited us as a couple pretty well. Most of the time, we would just go out to a restaurant or with some of our friends. We wouldn't talk much, but we both always seemed to really enjoy ourselves. I consider it rare to be able to be completely silent with someone and still completely enjoy yourself. I don't know if this was me taking after my father, but I bought a gun. A Smith & Wesson Sigma 9mm version. Maybe I started to feel like a man with a woman in the house or some ridiculous shit like that. My dad always said he was exercising his right to bear arms. I know when I bought it, though, that's not the purpose I had in mind. I figured I was always hanging around with addicts, so I better be prepared. An ounce of prevention saves a pound of trouble, my father would always say. You can justify anything with a quote. Someone else's words is always more powerful than yours. Not that that makes much sense to me. Maybe I just knew I'd need it. So, one week, Veronica seemed bothered. Said that Jeff, her old ex, had been trying to contact her. 
Owen said to watch out for the guy that he might be after me. I started carrying the gun around as precaution. I was walking home from Chipotle. I was bringing her home a burrito. I was sure she wouldn't finish, that I in turn could. It was a gray day. Steam rose steadily from tall orange funnel cones and sewer plates. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. There, there it would appear. I just gripped my teeth and just keep watching the urban shades of gray, try and let it drown out by car horns and construction zones and sidewalk arguments. A minute or two later, I heard the Doppler effect of passing police sirens on a nearby street. I entered my apartment building and got into the elevator. When the doors opened, I could hear yelling. I, I walked towards my room. I could see the door was open at the end of the hall. How could you think you could get away with this? How can you not understand? I remember the words and immediately the following. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. I heard a gunshot. I stopped for a second, terrified and possibly enlightened. I ran quietly towards the door. The door was open a bit and I saw Veronica's body on the floor in a pool of red. I heard a man crying inside. M my spine went cold. It was rage. It was struggle, malice, and confusion. Is she dead? Did death have to do with the music box? And then I thought, I'm going to fucking kill whoever it is. And then it came. Ding, ding, ring, ding, dong. Ding, ding, ring, ding, dong. My eyes opened wide again. Could it be a coincidence? I kicked the door in. The man was crying. His gun was on the carpet. I had mine pointed at him. Blood leaked from his nose, and he had large, dark bags under his eyes. It was the Jeff guy I got high and drove around with. Veronica's ex. You! I screamed. He reached for his gun. I shot. He fell to the ground. The white rug on my apartment floor was now mostly burgundy. The music box melody stopped. I stared at Veronica's body. Maybe I was in shock. Maybe I was praying to God that the music box would never come back. But I didn't cry. I just stared. She was still beautiful. Even dead. But even more, she was horrifying and empty, impossibly still. It seems so unnatural for a human body to be so lifeless. It sounds sick, but I was thrilled at the idea that somehow now I could be free from the melody. That goddamn music box, its tiny metal prong, ominous notes of psychosis might finally be extinguished. I ran to the phone, called the police, told them what had happened, and waited. It wasn't until later that I truly understood that she was dead, was gone, would never come back. That, I cried. There was a witness in the area that heard the screaming and the gunshots that helped my case. That and Jeff had been under the influence of several different narcotics at the time of his death. 
I was not guilty by virtue of self-defense, the jury would later decide. The cops didn't think there would be much of any other outcome. I was not worried for some reason. What really made me lose my mind was that one morning afterwards, I still remember the red numbers on the alarm clock as I woke, 7.09 a.m. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. Ding, ding, ring, dang, dong. I was not ever to be free. I cried. I didn't stop crying. I called James, and he thought I was weeping about Veronica. She's in a better place. Everything will be okay, Luke, he said. It's not that, I said. The music box. It's still playing. It's never going away, James. I'm stuck with it forever. And worse, I know now every time I hear it, someone is about to die. There was static in silence. Are you sure about that, Luke? I'm not sure of anything. But if there is anything, I know it is that. Do you need to take some time off? Take those vacations you haven't used from your job and just come and live with Melody and the kids and I for a while. Yes, his wife's name was Melody. I thought it was far too cruel a joke to play on us both. He was married to his Melody and I to mine. At least his would love him. At least he had a choice. I don't know, man. I'm not in a good place right now. That's why you should come with family. I'm here for you, man. Why, bro? Why do I have to suffer? Isn't there someone stronger, someone more capable who could deal with it? Why me? Why do I have to hear this? It's so sick. It's just so damn sick. Luke, he said, pausing, breathing deeply. It is the burden of everyone to be responsible for every human killed by another. You're just the only one who has to hear it. Thank you for listening to Music Box by Evan Pickering. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate us on iTunes, or if you listen from the smartphone app, you can leave a review on the App Store. This will help other people find us. Just as a reminder, show notes can be found at chudamhay.com. We hope you return to discover new worlds and ideas outside our current reality. Good night and good day, whenever and wherever you might have found us. A heartfelt thank you from Air Off Short Stories.